Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Luke, the 24th chapter, the first through the 12th verses. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the man, the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to the others. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up, and he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen, the clothes by themselves, and then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This week I've been having a lot of memories of Easter's past. When I was growing up, the senior pastor at my home church in Wichita had a real flair for the dramatic. George Gardner was his name, God rest his soul. And every year at Easter, he would try to do something bigger, better, more surprising, more creative, more unusual than the year before. Now, this church had a tradition of having a really excellent Good Friday service of Tenebrae. And the last thing that always happened on Friday night in a completely dark sanctuary was there was this giant Christ candle in the middle of the chancel, and it would be extinguished. And George would say, for one brief moment in history, the eternal light went out. With a dead Christ, there is nothing left to be said. It's bone chilling, isn't it? Gets me even now. It's been 20, more than 20 years since I've been to a Good Friday service that George did, but I will never forget that line. Because George liked the dramatic, then for several years in a row, he kept the sanctuary dark, as we entered it on Easter Sunday morning. Black cloth would be draped all over the altar and around the chancel rails, and that church has a giant 20-foot cross that's sitting up on the wall, and black cloth would be draped over it. The lights would be off, and the room would be quiet, which was really weird for church on Sunday morning, let alone on Easter. I remember always sitting there so nervously in our bright Easter clothes in the dark, in the quiet, waiting to see what would happen. And 
from year to year, it was a little different. He always wanted it to be different, but usually what would happen is some kind of character would enter the sanctuary and start talking, and somehow they would tell the Easter story, and then music would start quietly at first, and the lights would begin to raise, and the black cloths would be removed, revealing pyramids of beautiful colors, and Easter lilies all over the place, and the pastors would walk in in glorious robes, and the huge choir would arrive, and the organ would swell, and hundreds of people would jump from their seats and start singing, Christ the Lord is risen today. It was pretty spectacular. George was so good at making a production like that. And today is about as far as that kind of, far from that kind of grand spectacle as we can get. There are 10 of us here. Just enough to make worship happen. 10 awesome people, let me tell you. 10 amazing people. I'm so glad for all nine of you that are here besides me. But there's just 10 of us. And you're at home, either by yourself or with your immediate family. And, you know, I really wanted my parents to come to Papillion for Easter this year to experience this full church with me for the first time. I'm sure a whole lot of you had plans for children or grandchildren to gather, siblings or parents to be present for a giant meal to be shared, an Easter egg hunt in the backyard, perhaps, though that wouldn't have gone so well today considering the weather. Some of you, I I can tell on Facebook, are doing so much to try and make it a special weekend, dyeing eggs together or making special food, or maybe you've been coloring those posters of Easter eggs to put in your windows so children can find them on their walks around the neighborhood. And let me just say, bless, 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 bless all of you who donated to have this chancel full of beautiful Easter flowers this morning. It is glorious in here, fragrant, beautiful, I mean, we're making the best of it, right? But even with all of that, it's a weird Easter. For us, I mean. It's not the kind of Easter that we're used to at all. But, but honestly, the more I've been thinking about it this week, the more I realize that this may be the most Eastery Easter of any that we have ever experienced. This may be just the moment for us to see and feel and know the Easter message from a completely different angle. The coronavirus, maybe it's given us a second chance to understand God's second chance in a new way. Now, we've been talking for six weeks about second chances, about how our God is a God of second chances. I can hardly remember back to Ash Wednesday. It feels like three years ago, not six weeks ago. But we know that's because grief and loss and disruption, they really mess with our sense of time. But for all Lent, we've been talking about the power of God's second chance, how the worst moments in life are not the end of the story in God's eyes. And we've seen that with Moses, the murderer, and King David, the adulterer, and Zacchaeus, the tax cheat, and Peter, the betrayer, and the criminal that was hanging on the cross next to Jesus. And and last week, we even saw God's second chance for that crowd that stood in front of Pilate and said, crucify him, crucify him about Jesus. And today... Of course, on Easter Sunday, we have the second chance of all second chances. Today, we see that what looks like the bottom and the lowest and the end, that it's none of those things in God's eyes. We see that that God sees the worst and God plans for resurrection. That's our God of second chances. Today, we have the story that shows us the fullness of God's mercy and God's redemptive love. And I think today, the people with a second chance is us. It's us. So just consider the story with me again for a moment. 
And consider the fact that while it's a dramatic story, it's not a complicated story. It's actually a very simple story. Also consider with me the fact that while we know how the story turns out, the people in the story had no idea what was about to happen or how the future would unfold. I mean, they knew their world had changed in a fundamental way. They knew they had experienced something traumatic, something none of them wanted, but also something that none of them had any control over. Not a one of them could have stopped it if they had tried, and it changed their lives in a profound and lasting way. And at the moment that we enter the story, none of them had any idea what the future would hold. Are you beginning to see what I mean that we're in perhaps the most Eastery of Easter's ever? While you may have experienced an Easter with loss or grief alongside it before, today is different even from that because we're experiencing all of these feelings together, all of us. No one's life is the same right now as it was last year, let alone last month. And, and we know some among us are suffering very deeply Last night, I was looking at the death statistics for the U.S. You know, we crossed over that number of 20,000 deaths from COVID-19. Yesterday, we crossed over that number. That's just in the last month. Looking there at my computer screen, it it just about made me cry to think about 20,000 families in our country, heavy with grief this morning because they've lost a loved one to covid Perhaps they weren't even able to be at that person's side as they died, and and likely they've had to put funeral plans on hold, and so they sit in this kind of weird, suspended grieving. 17 million families across our country have lost jobs in the last three weeks, and and we know that we still have weeks and weeks of this tragedy to go, and so when we meet for worship here next week, both those numbers are going to be higher. And yeah, we know social distancing is eventually going to end, but we don't know what's going to happen in the future, not individually, not collectively. I mean, our economic pundits and our political strategists and our medical professionals are trying to make their best guesses, but we've never done this before like this. So really, we don't know. The future is unknown. So we're grappling every day with uncertainty and loss and a lack of control and fear, and grief, and disrupted routines, and an unknown future. And and if we just sit with the weight of that for a moment, we can see that on this Easter, we have some things really in common with the followers of Jesus on that first Easter. It's a pretty Eastery Easter that we're in right now. In Luke's gospel, we read that at least five women went to the tomb of Jesus early on that first day of the week. Sunday morning. You might remember that Jesus was arrested on Thursday night after supper, and he was brought to trial sometime that evening on Thursday or very early in the morning on Friday. He was crucified on Friday morning. Luke doesn't tell us what time of day he was crucified, but he says that Jesus was, was dead by 3 p.m. And that was probably fast, actually, for crucifixion. Depending on how it was done, crucified people could last for many, many hours, even days before dying on the cross. But Jesus died quickly, and on Friday afternoon, a man named Joseph of Arimathea went and asked for the body so Jesus could be buried before sunset on Friday night, before the start of the Jewish Sabbath. So Friday night, all day Saturday, you know, we have no idea what the disciples did, what the women did. 
We don't have any idea what the mood was like in Jerusalem or, or what kind of conversations were going on, what anyone was thinking or feeling. We just don't know. The text is silent about Friday night and all day Saturday. But then Sunday morning, some of these women who had been faithful followers of Jesus, who had provided for him even in Galilee, they walked down to the tomb. And, and you know, they went there thinking that Jesus was still completely dead. Their purpose was to anoint his body with spices, which was an important step that had been skipped in that haste on Friday afternoon. When they got there to the tomb, they saw that the stone that had been blocking the entrance was moved, and they went into that tomb. It was probably some kind of shallow cave, and when they got in there, they didn't see any body. And they were stunned, as you would be. You go looking for a body, and it's not there. The translation that we use here, the NRSV, it says that the women were perplexed. They were, oh, interesting. That's a little soft of a translation. The Greek word that Luke uses is apareo, apareo. They were apareo, which paruo in Greek means way, or it means transit. And just like in English, when you put the letter A in front of a word, it negates it, or it means the opposite. So in other words, the women were standing around the tomb saying to themselves, no way, no way. Well, then to help those disbelieving women, some angels stepped in, and they told the women to remember. So remember, Jesus predicted this very thing. He said he was going to die and be raised on the third day. It seems everyone had forgotten that for the moment. So the women, they remembered, and they went back to town to the place where the disciples were hiding out, and they told the men what they had seen. But guess what? The men didn't believe it either. They weren't ready for it. They weren't looking for resurrection. They called the women's story, the scripture says, an idle tale, an idle tale, which again is a generous translation. The Greek word refers to the kind of thing that people say when they're talking nonsense because they have a high fever. Okay, so they thought the women were delirious. They thought they were hallucinating. But Peter, he ran to see the empty tomb for himself, but even then he came back amazed, dumbfounded in wonder. He didn't return to them shouting, hey, it happened just like Jesus said. I knew this is what was going to be. No, it just says he was amazed. And that's the end of the encounter of the empty tomb. They don't all rush back to the tomb to try to conduct a thorough investigation about what happened. They don't go out searching for Jesus or drop some kind of master plan about how they're going to respond. They just sit with it in amazement and wonder. And after a little while, Jesus comes to them. First to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then he appears to the rest of the disciples in Jerusalem. I love what Frederick Buechner says about the Easter story. He points to the simplicity of it all as a part of its power, and he writes, you know, it's not a major production at all, and all the minor attractions we've created around it, the bunnies and baskets and bonnets and dyed eggs, they have so little to do with what it's actually all about that they neither add much nor subtract much. Buechner says it's not really even much of a story when it comes right down to it, and that's, of course, the power of it. It doesn't have the ring of great drama. It has the ring of truth. If the gospel writers had wanted to tell it in a way to convince the world that Jesus rose from the dead, they would have presumably done it with all the skill and fanfare they could muster. And instead, we have no skill, no fanfare. They seem to simply be telling it the way it was. And then Beekner says, when it comes to just what happened, there can be no certainty. 
that something unimaginable happened, there can be no doubt. Something unimaginable happened in that tomb. That's a truth that sits at the heart of the Easter story. Something unimaginable happened when Jesus overcame the grave. Jesus, he went to the cross facing the worst that the world could give, taking on all the pain, all the grief, all the suffering, all the mistakes, all the sin, all the injustice, all the evil that we ever experienced. He just held it there on the cross as he died. And then he rose. And then he rose. It's as simple as that. He was not defeated by the worst the world could give. God could not be defeated. Love could not be defeated. Today we realize astoundingly that love won. God's powerful, merciful, redemptive, reconciling, healing love won. Love one, that is the long and the short of it. Now this message, it's not any different than one that you've heard dozens of times on Easter, or those of you in church regularly in hundreds of other sermons. The message isn't different today. What's different is us. We are different today. Today we're living with constraints and challenges that few of us could imagine six weeks ago. And I think that that means today we have the ability to hear this news more clearly than ever, that God's love triumphs. We can believe in that. We can trust in that. For ourselves, for the world, God's love triumphs. The Apostle Paul says in the letter to the church at Rome, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Easter shows us this in full force. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not the coronavirus, not a lack of PPE, not a shortage of ventilators, not job loss, not a down stock market, not missed graduations, not canceled sporting events, not birthdays held in isolation, not set-aside vacations, not fear of getting sick, not worry for our loved ones, not loneliness, not political infighting, not an uncertain future, nothing, nothing, Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The empty tomb shows us that today, plain and simple. We're the ones with the second chance today to hear this, to believe it, to live differently because we know the power of God's love in our upside-down world with this huge interruption we've had, we have the second chance to hear this news fresh and powerfully today. This, this is a different Easter. And that means in a few minutes, you don't have to get up from the sanctuary and go greet all your friends. You don't have to go pick up your kids from Sunday school. You don't have to run off right now and go fix Easter dinner for 15 or 25 people that are coming to your house. You don't have to get ready for a giant Easter egg hunt. You can take a minute today to let this news sink in, in a new way for you. You can take a moment, a breath, to let this truth burrow down deep into your heart. You can take a moment after worship to sit and to pray and to let the Holy Spirit speak a word, a word of reassurance and peace to you. And that's what God has for you today, in whatever way you need it, 
God has a word of peace and reassurance. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. We have a few more things that we need to do here in worship, a few more songs we're going to sing, and we're going to close with a video of the Worthington Brass that uh, playing the Hallelujah Chorus, and I hope you'll stick around to watch that. And when that's over, what I want you to do is turn off the computer or tablet or whatever device you're using to worship. Don't just start scrolling through Facebook or searching around on YouTube. I want you to stay where you are, turn off your device, and have a moment of prayer. Take a minute or five or ten, whatever you need to have a conversation with God today. And if you're sitting there in the room worshiping with other people, that's fine. Just take a minute, turn off the device, and look at each other and say, okay, let's pray. And then take a moment quietly to yourselves to do just that. Pray. Pray and take a second chance at hearing this Easter message. Thank God for the power of resurrection Thank God for the promise of resurrection in our lives. Ask God for faith to trust, to trust that God holds our future and that our future will be one with joy. And when you have prayed, listen for the Spirit's nudging, the Spirit's whispers, the Spirit's reassurance. Listen for God's peace. And then go to share the joy that you know with the world living as people who know that Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. Amen.